Shrek, my diving of late has improved out of sight. And do you know why? No. Because I, pick, I picked myself up a copy of 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. Wow. Is that why your hunting techniques have improved as well? Not just my hunting techniques, my free diving, my breath hold, and my awareness. Wow. You really are a Spiro 2.0. Yes, that's right. I really am a Spiro 2.0, as per Chapter 7, I believe, Spiro 2.0. <laughs> and it's all thanks to... 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. Now, where did I find it, you ask? On (laughs) Amazon.com. That's right. So get on Amazon.com and check it out. But in all seriousness, it's a great book compiled from over 40 contributors. It's absolutely fantastic, and you will improve your diving, guaranteed, if you read that book. There's tips there from legends like Rob Allen and Chris Coates out of South Africa to Simon Tripp and uh, some other Aussie guys. Lots of Aussie guys. Lots of Aussie guys. I think there might even be some New Zealanders in there. Dwayne Herbert. Dwayne Herbert. Darren Shields. We've got Cameron Kirkconnell. A couple from myself there. I put myself in that same league. Yeah, so look, Turbo's ones, we, we glazed over them. <laughs> and, uh, look, I took I often took 10 of Turbo's tips and punched them into one so you get good value for money. Find it cheap on Amazon.com, 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. G'day and welcome to today's episode of the Noob Spiro podcast. Today we're speaking with Niall Cameron all the way from South Africa. Um, what was the town called? Cameron? Can- Cannon Rocks near oh. Port Elizabeth. He's a bloody champion. This He's bloke. an absolute champion. He's a laugh. He's a long-time fan of the show as well. I'm going to throw yeah. that in. But uh, no, today's episode is really, really fun. We talk about uh, the white mussel cracker. It's a very in- interesting fish that we've always um, sort of thought we might like to go and have a shot at hunting one day. But before we get into it... There's also that bloody good story about the capsized oh, boat. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, it's yeah, a cracker. Yeah. His dud boat. Never buy yeah. a boat, a used boat off this man, ever. <laughs> 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 All right. But before we get into it, Shrek, you got a few shout-outs, as you usually do. Yeah, yeah. wanted to congratulate a couple of blokes who use the Noob Spiro code over at penetratorfins.com. They got their hands on a brand-new set of fins. Uh, I don't know what designs they got, but congrats to Will and Jordan. So those guys saved themselves 20 bucks over at Penetrator Fins by using the new Spiro code. Well done, fellas. You're on to it. And you'll and, be uh, diving as well as me in no time. And uh, another bloke, latest subscriber to the new Spiro floater newsletter, email newsletter. His name is Duck Gums or Duck Gamato. He says, hi, mates. Really love your podcast. Keep it going, guys. Your show's awesome. I believe he's in Indo. And... Uh, it's good to have the listeners from Indonesia joining us. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. And a quick shout-out to Fran for writing us a review. I've been badgering you for that review for a long time. Just thanks oh, for we love us. podcast reviews, oh, especially family best. and friends oh, ones. They're the best. Oh, thanks, Fran. All right, so let's get into today's episode with Niall Cameron. You're going to enjoy this one. Let's go. A white muscle cracker. Here we come. <laughs> Big thank you to our sponsor, Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. You can find Adreno in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. They are one of the biggest and best spearfishing stores in the world and stock a full range of spearfishing gear, more than you could ever imagine. So check them out in store, or if you prefer to shop online, check them out at spearfishing.com.au and do yourself a favor, at checkout, use the code NOOBSPIRO to save yourself $20 on all purchases over 200 so that is spearfishing.com.au and use the code NoobSpiro at checkout. Okay, g'day Noob Spiro. Welcome to the show again. Today we have joining us from 
this huge city in South Africa called Cannon Rocks. Uh, probably one of the most famous people in Cannon Rocks. Uh, <laughs> we've got Noam, <laughs> Noam Cameron joining us today. He operates a small charter there, and uh, it's a it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Well, welcome to the show, Noel. Welcome, Noel. Ah, uh, good. Good to be with you guys. Thank you for having me. Well, awesome. So we're going to dig dig in today and talk a little bit about the white muscle cracker. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. Before we sort of get there, just can you tell us a little bit about yourself and getting started spearfishing? Where were you when you started spearfishing, by the way? Um, Cape Town. I grew up in Northern Ireland yeah. um, as a young kid. It was kind of in the late 60s, early 70s, and we moved out to South Africa in 1976. And... Uh, I, I, I washed uh, uh, a tube washed up on the beach, like a crayfish net, and uh, I never really knew what it was. It was just a yellow and black thing, and so, um, so I kept it. I thought it was something to do with diving, and uh, that was the first part of my diving kit. And then I added it, you know, the kit later on as I got some money, and um, yeah, started to dive in in uh, very very cold water in Cape Town in a place called Cape Hunclip. And that was the start of my career. No, no mentors, nothing. I just kind of <laughs> winged it as I went along. <laughs> wow, that's rough. Okay, so no mentors. So you, you pretty much had to – did you have a book or did you watch – there was no video back then. Or what were you sort of um, – what was your approach? How did you learn everything? Um, well, I, I, my one uh, kind of contact I've ever had with a diver before was, funny enough, in Ireland. Uh, when I was a young school kid, my friend's dad, Michael Hamilton, was the first diver or one of the only divers in, um, in Ireland. Wow. And I lived in a little coastal village called Carrick Ferguson. There was a castle down the road. And it was reported that um, gold was thrown down in this well, but it, the gold was guarded by the ghost of Buttoncup. Um, of course it was. And <laughs> so, so eventually, you know, they got uh, plucked up the courage to go down the well and dive. And mm. see if there was some gold. And I remember as a young kid really being impacted by this. This is a, I mean, color television had, had, uh, was pretty new as well. But I remember seeing Michael Hamilton's dad. His name was Thor. And he had this black, <laughs> big, thick wetsuit on with big yellow bands down the arms and down the legs. And down he went into the well. But I must be honest, I can't remember if it's just my childhood imagination or fantasies kicking in, if they actually did find gold or not. Okay. Uh, I like to think they did find gold down the well. <laughs> but um, I, did, I did ask Michael, uh, I said, why does your dad's wetsuit have these yellow stripes down the side? And he says, oh, that's to scare away predators and anything that might eat you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that impacted me as a, as a young kid. And then I remember saying to myself, I'm going to grow up and be a diver one day. <laughs> so then when I moved to South Africa, I got... Um, you know, first the crayfish tube that washed up on the beach in the net. And then I, start, I left school and I got a bursary. I started to study, so I had a bit of money and I started to buy my kit. But unfortunately, I bought the worst kit humanly imaginable. I bought the highest volume mask um, that has ever been made. I mean, I, I might as well have worn like a, um, a fish around fish tank over my head. It was that bad, you know, fishbowl. But because... Uh, it was so so high volume. It was called a Nemrod something. I thought, mm -hmm. well, I need to see as much as I can underwater. That's why I'll go for that one. Ah, yeah. And then I heard that uh, our South African Navy, um, I don't know if there is such a thing, but apparently there is. We've got a Navy. Um, <laughs> and they had, they had fins called jet fins, and they had like these three slots in them called hydro vents or oh, foils yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. 
So I thought, I'll buy those. They were open heel. If yep. the Navy used them, they must be great. But each one weighed about one and a half to two kilos. <laughs> um, they were the worst fins I've ever had in my life. Uh, I actually, I used to fin so hard with those things. My body started to develop abnormal muscles, like a golf ball on the side of my foot um, from driving these things in the water. That's, that's how terrible it was. I then, um, yeah. I then bummed a wetsuit or a bought one, but it, it was so old and stiff and leaky. Uh, you know, in Cape Town water, we're talking 15 degrees, yeah, 16, yeah. 17 degrees Celsius. It's freezing there. Yeah. Um, but, but what happened was I made a mistake. Um, I also bought myself a, a motorbike. I didn't have a car at that stage. So I bought a 500 thumper, single cylinder scrambler. <laughs> and I had my dive bag over the back. And I, I must just add, when I lived in Cape Town, uh, for about 10 years, it was the most miserable time of my life because we were at least 26 kilometers from the shore. Ireland, I'd lived on the beach. Cape Town, I'm not an inland kind of guy. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so, you know, to, to drive 26 k's, it's a fair distance to mm. a dive spot, you know. Yep. Anyway, no internet, no research about the dive spot if conditions <laughs> were good. And I'd set off on this motorbike and just about kitted up on a 26-hour journey through kind of a mountain pass um, and no one ever warned me that when you're sitting on a motorbike and you, 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 you're going around uh, tight, windy roads, that if you're wearing a seven-kilogram weight belt around your waist, you change your center of gravity. <laughs> so, so I nearly had a few close calls getting to the dive site, wiping myself out. And then uh, I'd, I'd get there, you see, and um, you just see kelp beds and everything. And let's say it would be a good day that time. I'd, I'd go into the water. And I'd see these lobsters everywhere and, and uh, abalone, you know, we call them perlamoon. Yeah. Get some of those. And I'd, I'd drive back home after a good day's diving. And um, my mother loves to entertain. And she often would enter competitions for cooking. So um, she, she's a very good cook. And once she started seeing me come home with all these lobsters, she, she thought, hmm, I'd love to serve these to my guests. And uh, <laughs> she, she once said, Niall, could you? could you get me some lobsters and an abalone and I'll, I'll pay you? Um, and I thought, that's a great idea. Now I can be um, covered for all my fuel, you see, and, and uh, my mum will be paying me and this is going to go well. Yeah. So she used to store all the stuff in a big freezer down below in the garage, you know, that was always full of food. Um, but my brother and I, there was always cool stuff in this freezer, but my brother and I, we figured out how to pick the lock on the thing. <laughs> um, my mother didn't she didn't really trust us but but we, we could pick the lock on it so what used to happen was i'd go off again you know a week or two later go off diving and i'd get there and it would just be you know white, white water wherever you look it was just a complete washout i, I try and go in uh, but I, I, you know, I couldn't get in i'd come home with nothing yeah and i thought no this is not good this is the start of my dive gear gear uh, career and i'm running at a loss already uh, and i thought i must i must come up with a plan so i figured out if i can break into the freezer steal the crayfish that my mother's already um, paid me for the next dive trip i could go out there they'd be nicely defrosted in the bottom of my dive bag and um in the case of the scenario of white water and not being able to dive i could at least come home with these lobsters and, and abalone resell them back to my mother <laughs> and uh, things are looking good. And um, this this worked like a, a dream for quite a while. It, it really uh, – uh, I was doing quite well. 
But the funny thing about this story is, I mean, to date, as far as I know, none of my mother's guests that used to come for dinner ever got violently ill from this. And the birth of a spearfishing entrepreneur was, was yeah. that. That was good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, like, you lift, you listed off a couple of just crack-up ones there. You had no mentors. Man, there was no real information you had. You just had a sincere desire to get into it, and you bought the worst gear imaginable, developed <laughs> abnormal muscles, yep. and became an entrepreneur all at the same time. Or a criminal, yeah. whichever way you want to live. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, after a while, you, you learn about the law and you, you develop a conscience. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, started, <laughs> I started doing things by the book a, yeah. a bit later and figured out what your uh, limits are as regards species and size and all the rest of it. So, uh, okay. yeah, things have improved over the years. <laughs> so, all right, so you, that probably sounds like it went on for a little while. When, when did you start making serious improvements and actually shooting fish? Um. Probably once I got a boat, you know, yeah. um, I think boat diving changed everything. You, you know, you, I've noticed you often ask on shows, what are the biggest um, things you're up against, you know, diving yeah. uh, for, for most of the spirits. I'll be honest, most of the stuff I was up against was white water. Um, <laughs> I learned to dive through it, under it, over it. Uh, get four meters into it and five meters backwards in the stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah. no matter what the conditions through it, you know, I kind of just um, w- would go for it. And, you know, I think this is what's happened. Uh, what, ha- what happens when you get salt water in your veins, you, you can't get it out. You know? yeah. and, and it just yeah. becomes so addictive and you, you kind of just do it for the love of the sport and you get punished horribly sometimes. <laughs> but um, once, once I got a boat... That changed everything. The whole world opened up to me, and that was one of the best advice someone had ever given me. You know, um, if I could just say that, the best advice was now stop fiddling around in the surf, get yourself a boat, and go for it. And yeah, so that's what I did. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. And um, what did you? When did you? When did you meet people to go diving with? And how, how, what did that look like? Did, did you meet some guys in Cape Town that also sped? I mean, once you get a boat, you tend to have a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah that's very true but yeah. also the reality of that fact is i don't know if you've noticed and um, when you get a boat all your mates say no whenever you want to go out just call me i'm your man i'll be yeah. ready if you ever need crew and then the day or the night before you phone everyone it's like nah my cat's sick i've got to take it to the vet <laughs> and then it's this story and that story <laughs> so i actually ended up diving on my own and i thought no i'm gonna rig up my boat, I can launch it on myself, retrieve it on myself, I'll dive on my own, um, wow. which is not very wise, you know, but yeah. I must just share a little story um, about diving on my own. I had this friend, I lived on the beachfront, I moved from Cape Town to a place called Port Elizabeth, and uh, I, was, I went to study a little bit more, because the army was trying to get hold of me at that stage for a year, and, and all my friends who'd been to the army said, no, whatever you do, try and get out of it. Only way to get out of it is to be medically boarded or something or go and study further. So I went to study further and uh, I had a good year just just uh, at lectures and when the diving was good, I'd, I'd go studying. And that, I mean, I'd go diving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, so I had this eccentric friend I lived with and we're still best friends today. His name's Mush Hyde. And I actually yeah. saw him the other day and I verified the story that I got all the facts right because I didn't want to exaggerate in any way. So okay. this is the story as it is. <laughs> and he had a, bush, a single little 
boat, uh, a motor boat called Full On. It was about a 15-foot little skiff, flat deck thing. And yeah. I said, Mush, can I borrow your boat? I want to go spearing. The, the conditions were beautiful. There was a little reef just off the road. And ironically, the reef was called Devil's Reef. Um, sneaky little reef. It's about yeah, 300 meters offshore. And it comes up from about six meters to maybe a meter pinnacle, yeah. you know. And the yacht races would be in the bay and the deep keelers. And if a yacht skipper didn't know about this reef, you could take your big keel straight off wow. uh, on this reef. So I launched the boat in the morning. I go diving on my own the whole day. Had a brilliant time just spearfishing on my own. And I thought, you know, I fancy this girl where I'm studying. This is <laughs> Tess now, my wife. Um, I wonder if she wouldn't mind as a as – because a, as a, she seemed quite adventurous. I wonder if she, if she wouldn't mind as a first date. I'll take her diving, <laughs> you know, not spearfishing. <laughs> yeah. uh, so so I, I, I dumped the boat on the beach and I raced off uh, to the college and I uh, got some scuba gear, you see. And I said, uh, Tessa, I don't know if you're keen, but should we go diving? The conditions are crystal clear. It's fantastic. The water's calm and flat. Uh, and she says, yeah, she's dead keen. So off we go, you see, and we launch this boat and uh, throw the pick on top of Devil's Reef, slide over the side, and we're having a great time down underwater. We, we weren't quite holding hands yet. We <laughs> hadn't had a little bonding moment in the water yet, but this was still to come. Huh? <laughs> <Can't wait. laughs> and I had this sick feeling in my stomach, something wasn't right. So I gave the sign, something's wrong, let's go up. So we got up to the surface, true as Bob. There's the last meter of the bow sticking out of the water, the rest of the boat completely underwater. Oh, no. I thought, no, I've sunk my mate's boat. Unbelievable. <laughs> the thing was perfect the whole morning. So fortunately, there was a few surfers around and, and paddle skiers, and uh, they saw this, and I, I yelled to them. And, and they all helped us drag this boat back onto the shore, you see. So we, we washed up on the beach like drowned rats and, Sea Rescue came, you know, and they did an inquiry as to why the boat sank and where's the safety gear and this and that. And they couldn't understand. The bungs were in the back of the boat. So um, yeah. we only found out later that what used to happen with that boat was that the deck would heat up in the hot sun, you know, if there was no clouds in it. And it would increase the, um, the pressure inside the hull and it would open up a, a fine crack down the middle of, a, ah. of the, the hull underneath and the water would seep in. So this thing would randomly sink when it felt like it. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, we, we drag the boat up the, up the beach, get it on the trailer, and I get home. I said, Mushy, I'm so sorry, mate. I, I've sunk your boat. I must buy you a new engine. He says, no, no, don't worry about that. It's no problem at all. I said, Mushy, this engine was completely underwater. And he says, no, nah, man, we'll flush it. So I said, okay, well, I'll go buy some diesel or paraffin or something, you know, and less volatile and petrol, and we'll, we'll sort it out. He says, no, no, there's still plenty of fuel in the tank. We'll use that. Mm. Now, this was a very hot day. <laughs> he had a fair amount of um, chest hair on him, bodily hair. You know, he had his shirt off. <laughs> and uh, so the next thing, the, the cowling's off the motor. The two spark plugs are out. Mm. And I said, Mush, let's just flush it out, I'll, you know, gently. And, and no, no, petrol's fine. So he's, he's you know. <laughs> Pumping this petrol down into the cylinders. So I thought, well, two HT spark leads are hanging off on the side near, near the block, you know. I thought, well, he'll give a slow little pull, you know, and get the water out that way. Not him. He gives this engine a pull like he was starting it on, on a cold winter's morning. And just you just hear, woof, 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 woof. and lo and behold, I, I mean, I promise you, I'm not exaggerating. 
it was about one meter flamethrowers just shot out of these cylinders and it was like a purple flamethrower it was the most incredible sight i've ever seen and um then it just turned into a big purple ball around the engine and of course i thought this was hilarious and uh I lost it laughing. I just dropped to the ground. I couldn't control myself. And I look up at Mush. He's got the fright of his life. He's singed all his chest hair. Every chest hair he had in his body is gone. <laughs> yeah. So this boat got sold. He sold it again, you see. And he sold it to one of our students in geology. And they were doing sand accumulation research on a local jetty called Hobie Beach. And uh, that boat sunk a few times during during the student's PhD research <laughs> on him. He he then sold the same boat to some guys that have a fishing shop called Alcock's Fishing. Well-known guys, Chad Alcock. Yeah. And I'm in that fishing shop, uh, uh, it was a couple of years ago, and I see, you know, in the Hall of Fame, every fishing shop's got good pictures in it. Yeah. I look up and I see a picture of this boat and I recognize it. And I said to the guy, I said, you see that boat over there in the wall you got there? I said, I know that boat. I could tell you a really cool story about that <laughs> boat. And he says, you could tell me a cool story. He says, I could tell you a cool story. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So we sunk the boat on the first date. We've been happily married ever since. Uh, uh, good stuff. And uh, the boat carried on sinking for generations of people. <laughs> G'day guys, if you're new to spearfishing, I highly recommend listening to our episode Freediving for Spearfishing with Pete Ryder. Pete uh, is an entrepreneur and an excellent freedive instructor and he has come up with two great courses, the 10-metre freediver and the 5-minute freediver. I've used the 5-minute freediver to increase my bottom time, found it incredibly useful for my trip to the Coral Sea and I cannot recommend it highly enough. His other course, the 10-metre freediver, is a great resource for those just starting out that literally want to get to 10 metres and this course will help you learn proper breathing technique and some of the safety aspects associated with freediving. Use the code NoobSpiro to save 20% on all of Pete's courses. He's put together this deal just for listeners of the show. That's at howtofreedive.com. Use the code NoobSpiro. Guys, head on over to penetratorfins.com. They are proud sponsors of today's Noob Spiro podcast. We're happy to announce a code you can use to save yourself $20 on any blade purchase. That's right, save $20, pump in the code Noob Spiro, check out penetratorfins.com, save yourself some dough on some fins and get yourself some of the best fins going with $25 flat rate international shipping and a full international warranty. Larry's the man. Thanks, Penetrator. All right. So, <laughs> next, but next part of the show, maybe it involves Mosh and Petra again, I'm not sure, but um, could you share with us a story, the first memorable fish that you shot? Um, yeah, I could. Uh, you know, as you, you're always kind of figuring it out as you go along, you know, and quite uh, early into my career, I was um, I got myself a nice big Cape salmon. They, they call them Heelbeck. Uh, which means literally yellow mouth because the inside of their mouth is quite yellow. And these things can get very, very big, very, very feisty fish. So I got myself a, 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 a I think it was about a 12-kilogram one. Um, you know, in those days, I didn't even weigh fish. I wasn't that much interested. I was just happy I got one. <laughs> and uh, I remember coming back on the beach and I had a charter. And uh, I wanted to take people out again. 
And it was just so tight with a time schedule that the, uh, my friends were climbing off the boat and then other guys were climbing on. So I thought, I don't want to be out at sea the whole day and have this big fish lying around the deck, you know. So I phoned, I phoned my wife and I said, can you come down to the beach, please, and um, pick up a fish and just take it home and put it in the freezer? Now, I'd expect that she'd come down dressed for the occasion, you know, <laughs> uh, with some know, pro- proper attire to carry a fish back up the beach into the car. And um, she didn't. She arrives on the beach with this long, white, flowing dress, you know, flapping in the breeze, you know, this vision of loveliness walking down the beach. (laughs) And I thought, no, this is not what I was uh, planning because um, (laughs) it was a very, very heavy fish, you know, and I knew she wouldn't be able to lift it. And there was this father and son standing on the beach. Now, at that stage, I'd got the clients on the boat and we were just kind of hanging out in a little uh, duck pond area on the beach where we where we go out to sea, and so I could hear what was being said by this by this um, this father and this son. And so Tess comes around, she grabs this fish, and she just drags it up the beach, you know, one step at a time. Drags it, takes another step, drags it. I thought, oh, this is hilarious. And I could hear the father say to the son, and he was Afrikaans, but he he said, son, do you see that over there? He says, that's what you call a fish. And then he goes, yapa, yapa, which means yes, dad. He says, son, you see that woman there? That's what you call a woman. <laughs> so he goes, yapa. <laughs> so that, that was the, the first kind of big fish I got. Yeah. Um, but the, the second good fish that I got was, uh, you know, once I was married and there was a brother-in-law in the scene. His name's Russell. And we, we went on a little shore dive. I thought my shore diving days are over, but he, he talked me into this. And we, we'd kind of jog about four or five k's down the beach. And there was a little blinder out at sea. It was about two, three hundred meters out at sea. Yeah. And it breaks the surface. A lot of white water around it, you see. Very, very good for muscle cracker. It's not, it's not deep at all. Uh, it goes down to about two meters. So okay. when, you, when you hunt muscle cracker, you kind of need to climb into the white water. You find a little gully. You swim out through the stuff. You wedge, your da- wedge yourself down into the gully, and you just wait. Uh, you know, muscle cracker will push your breath to the limit, so you need to be nice and relaxed. Normally, you're completely stuffed from swimming through the white water, so <laughs> it's a challenge to to actually get relaxed, yeah. you know, and then get down, and then you just wait. And if the fish are shoaling, they can come. It could be standing. It, like at the side of a train station and watching a train come through. It can be one after another, after another. And you don't know which one to shoot half the time because you're thinking, um, should I take this one or is the next one going to be bigger? Or, you know, mm. um, anyway, so, so I got myself one of my record fish there. It was a 20 kilogram or 19.8 wow. big white muscle cracker. I mean, a monster of a thing. And I'll tell you a little story about those fish. They, the facial plate on the side um, can be so tough and hard. The stories of guys with proper guns shooting them with a spear, and they literally watch a spear hit them in the side of the head. The spear bounces out, and the fish just looks at them and swims off slowly. Um, that's how tough these things are. Yeah. So I, I got my muscle cracker, and I was thrilled. And now Russell, my brother-in-law, he's got himself a new spear gun and a fancy new wetsuit. And he shot, he shot himself one as well, not as big as mine, but, but he got one. And we're swimming on the 
uh, seaward side of this blinder. And the next thing, he's got a float. We've both got floats, you know, and the fish are on a stringer. Yeah. Next thing, he's getting dragged over this reef. Now, there's only two things that can drag you over a blinder. One mm. is that the white water has got your fish on your float, and yep. it's just the water pressure pulling you over, or something's grabbed your fish and is swimming off with it. Yeah. And Russell thought, hmm, this is a bit unusual. He's getting dragged and dragged and dragged. It's not relenting. It could only be a shark, you see. Yeah. So he shouts to me. He says, Niall. I'm getting pulled. And then I knew straight away, all right, there's a shark. So we're in for a good fight now. And uh, Russell was determined not to lose his spear gun or anything. <laughs> so he was hanging on for dear life. Literally, this shark swam between the blinder and the, the seaside. It dragged him right over the blinder. And of course, being a shallow water blinder, it was covered in muscles, completely oh. lacerated his, his wetsuit. Oh. Um, you know, he was finished. Eh? But, you know, the nice story is, we, I, I swam up to the thing, and, and uh, I can't remember it, what I did to get rid of the shark. I, I, I think it moved off when I got there or got closer. I just yanked the thing out of the shark's mouth, and we got the fish back. Uh, and there was a huge, huge big chunk out of the side of the fish. And then uh, – so we had a cool story to tell, you know. We, yeah. we walked back to the car park about uh, four or five kilometers with our kit. And at that time, there was some university students from Mixology down on the beach doing some research, and they saw this. Yeah. And they pulled out a tape measure and measured the width of the jaw. And, uh, yeah, unmistakable. That was taken by a great white of at Whoa. least three meters in length. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Holy moly. So, with those white muscle cracker, do you find them as is it Dager salmon in similar sort of conditions? Dogger salmon. Um, Dogger? <laughs> yeah, dagger salmon. Yeah. Dagger salmon is like a big cub. And, uh, you know, I'm not too sure, I'll be honest. I, I've been trying to figure out fish and conditions for a long, long time. And a lot of guys have scientific approaches on it. And, and I don't poo-poo that kind of thing. But um, for, for fish and to figure out if, if the muscle cracker is showing or the cob there or not or this and that, I, I think to try and figure out fish, it's like trying to understand of a the mind of a woman it's, it's a <laughs> deep and mysterious thing <laughs> so i couldn't answer your question all i know is that those big dagger salmon i mean they get monsters they, they you're only allowed one if it's over 1.1 meters long um up to 1.3 meters long uh you know and they can get up to 50 kilos even more 60 mm. 70 kilograms mm. i know when the calamari or we call it chocker here mm. when that arrives those those big dagger salmon come in for the calamari Okay. Um, I've caught a few on my rod, 20 kilograms. But, uh, yeah, as far as shoaling with muscle cracker, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, well, it's just interesting hearing about the white muscle cracker and where you find them because the the – is it dagger or dagger salmon? Did he say that? Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know. Well, you're asking an Irishman living in South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the, the, the dagger salmon, they um, – they look like our Australian mulloway or the jewfish. Oh, they're very similar, yeah. yeah. And uh, we, right. we, yeah. we find them in those washes quite often. Uh, you know, like you were talking about finding a gully, uh, which is, you know, basically just a tidal channel, sand or rock where the water runs faster than everywhere else, I guess, and uh, it sort of carves out a passage. And quite often guys talk about finding mulloway in similar conditions, so I was curious. But, uh, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, I think they go to the calamari banks when they're feeding off the calamari. But I just want to say with pronunciation of the word dagger, whatever you do, don't call it dacha. 
Yeah, because yeah, in Afrikaans you you pronounce your G like a ch, you know. Yeah. Um, because if if you call it a dacha, Simon, you'd be naming it after the marijuana drug. That's that's a Afrikaans word for marijuana. So ah. don't call it dacha, Simon. Call it dagger, Simon. Right. Cool. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that could get confusing. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> so next section of the show is the hunting technique. So what what um what's your sort of your most your most favoured spearfishing hunting technique, and how do you apply it effectively? Um, well, let's talk about the hunt. For me, the hunt starts right a few days before when you want to put out to sea. Um, so I start getting excited, you know, when I see there's a window in the weather, and I rearrange my life accordingly. Uh, if you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, I live on a barometer as well. I tap that thing at least three or four times a day, and I can tell you the east is coming or the west and ah. uh, what the conditions are going to be like. Uh, and um, so the hunt starts early on watching the weather, and I plan my week, and I see the weather window and launch the boat. And I often used to joke with clients when I take them out to sea. I said, oh, okay, guys, you know, where should we go fish after I've got out the back line, you know, out in the ocean now? I said, where do, would you like to go fish? We can go east. West, or we can go south. I mean, if we go south, we end up near you guys or in the Antarctic. But yeah. still, we've got some nice deep water spots out there. Okay. Um, and they look at you like you're the expert. You know, you, you know what's going on. You know where the fish are. I say, no, guys, no one knows. The hunt and the challenge is to find them, you know. Mm-hmm. So generally, rule of thumb, if, if I'm going to go hunt fish, I head out into the wind. So our wind here is predominantly cross-shore at all times. So it'll either be east or west. So yep. if I know the barometer is rising, you get thumper of an east coming through, I'll head out in, into the, the wind that I know is coming. And, mm-hmm. and we'll go work those spots. And um, there's a guy here, he's quite a legend. His name's Gletwin Rubidge. He wrote a very good article on one of his blogs, and it's called Chasing the Thermocline. And um, he, he's got a very, very good theory about how to find fishing on the thermocline. The problem is how do you find out where it is? You know, I, I think you, you can do some sample dives dive down, see a right at 10 meters, there's a horrible thermocline, um, and then you have to look at some, some pinnacles that, that are kind of round about the 10-meter spot. And um, the other day, uh, I, gave, I had some spiros on the boat from the university, and um, it's funny, they're from ichthology. You'd think ichthologists mm. would, would look after fish, but there's more spear fishermen <laughs> in that department than anywhere else today. <laughs> We get a rush out of whacking fish. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, you know, with a lot of spiros on the boat, I always kind of look after them first, and I'll go in later. And a lot of them, let's say, might be a bit inexperienced, and it's a new spot I'm taking to, and they're going to go. They're excited about the hunt, and I'd say, guys, look, uh, I'll tell you what you do. There's a bit of a thermocline. You can kind of see it on the fish finder. And it's 16 meters on the bottom. It comes up to you know about nine meters. Just go down onto the the tabletop at nine meters. Um, or maybe 10 meters and just look up and, you know, you might see some stuff. And invariably, they, they come out with some lovely big fish. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, conditions are not pleasant. Sometimes when you get these thermoclines, the, the water here is very nutrient-rich. Yeah. So there's so much plankton and crud in the water. Mm. You can be diving through muck where you can bar- yeah. barely see the end of your gun. Yeah. Uh, so... I'll be honest, an Eastern Cape Spiro is another breed of Spiro altogether. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're literally willing to dive in muck to get yeah. down to some good stuff on the bottom. And, and often, 
you, let's say if a southeaster blows, we have upwelling, subantarctic water comes up, really cold water, yeah. warm water on the top, and it's just brown muck. You dive straight through it. And then um, in the bottom, you, you might have 10, 15, 20, 30 meters lateral vis. Yeah. Uh, right. So you've got to hunt. And, and so you've got to figure out, okay, where are the fish? Are they cruising around on the top of the pinnacle in the warmer, dirty water? Um, or are they down below in the caves or whatever? Because we have a lot of sandstone structure. So you, as a spiro, you need to be willing to climb right down into dark caves and wedge yourself in and wait or are they deep in the caves because when the water gets cold i think the metabolic rate changes of some fish um i have noticed that a lot of the bigger fish stick around in really cold uh, water mm. and the smaller fish tend to clear off you know okay. so yeah that's how you hunt you know you just read it for what it is and mm. i think your technique of hunting uh varies every time you get in the water yeah and i've given up even trying to read conditions because um out here, uh, the best way is just to launch your boat and go diving and see because it can look filthy on the surface. You get down the bottom and it's brilliant. But mm. I must say, something I've learned with, with, with hunting fish, if there's sharks around, you're probably guaranteed of some good fish. So we kind of get quite accustomed to a lot of ragged tooth sharks. Yeah. Um, and they're not really a threat. Most of the time, they're not a threat. But um, you've got to read the signs. So if you jump into the water and the sharks seem a little bit frisky, uh, you're probably in for a bit of trouble that day, you know, if you want to start shooting fish. But if the mm. sharks are swimming around in the gullies, I think you call them sand tigers over there, quite mm. lethargic, you're normally okay. Great but nurse, I saw spearers. Yeah, no killing a fish in the water. You spear your fish, you mm. swim straight up to the boat, uh, which is normally anchored, and the fish straight onto the boat. Even it's a wet deck boat, it's a semi-rigid. I even block off the, the drain holes at the back because I don't want any blood washing off the deck into the water i want to you know be relaxed without blood in the water you know when you're shooting fish yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. all right this is really interesting talking about rising and falling barometer um that's kind of um an interesting area of sort of the weather forecasting that we haven't really got into do you have a preference with rising or falling barometer no but i, I think if you're a a, fit, a line fisherman, I would say yes. They definitely watch that. Mm. Um, I, I was out the other day in a kind of a big electric storm, and that's not supposed to be good for fishing, and the fishing was on, you know. So I've learned something for spear fishing now that, um, that you know, even if uh, barometric conditions or whatever don't look too good, just go anywhere and see. And, you know, mm. people often say, well, don't go out midday. Midday is the worst time to get <laughs> fish. I've got my biggest fish at 12 o'clock when the sun was right over my head. Yeah, um, right. So I've, li I've literally seen every theory of fishing disproven. But I have one theory, and I'm still testing this. I've seen it for a while. If you go out in a boat, you throw the pick, and um, whether you're spearfishing or fishing, doesn't matter, and seabirds arrive at the back of the boat, it's as if they know that you're going to get fish today. And most of the time, if I go out to sea, throw my pick, and I don't see a sea skewer or a seagull or whatever, or one or two only at the back of the boat. I know I'm in for a tough, tough day's fishing or spear fishing. Yeah. Um, but check it out. Maybe it's the same in your part of the world down there. Mm. No, it's just interesting having a conversation about it actually, and and just sort of hearing you know your thought process with it. I I, I tend to agree with you, but we quite often do the best on dawn and dusk, and a lot of places mm. are similar. But yeah, sometimes you yeah. get good fish in the middle of the day, like particularly if you're using a flasher and things that catch the light and stuff. So it is kind of hit and miss. Some, some guys, 
um, have commented that they get around it and they learn a lot more by keeping a dive log and writing in all the observable conditions and stuff and then sort of studying patterns over the years. But yeah. it, do, it doesn't seem like an exact science. Yeah, yeah, you kind of figure it out as you go along. I agree with you. Mm, cool. All right, next part of the show, toughest situation. What is the toughest situation you've been in the ocean? Yeah, besides thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> <laughs> what happened and sort of what did you learn from it? Um, well, I'm still emotionally scarred from most of the things that have happened. <laughs> I'm getting over them. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, that story with Russell getting dragged over the rock, that, that was a tough one. Um, yeah. But, but um, uh, toughest situations, I've had a few. Um, one of them was, it was actually quite hilarious, but um, we, we were diving in Sudwana up in Zululand, and that area is a marine reserve, uh, and you get a two-mile reef, uh, you get a five-mile reef, um, seven-mile and nine-mile from the launch site. So, and these uh-huh. reefs are kind of just parallel to the coast. Um, so if you want to go to nine-mile, it's either a nine-mile run along the beach in a four-by-four in four vehicle or nine miles on your boat. Hmm. And I had my mum-in-law with me at that stage and my brother-in-law, and we said, yeah, we'd like to go out spearfishing off Nine Mile Reef now because it's a reserve you're only allowed to shoot gameys, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So we're going to go hunt some, some wahoo or something like that. And I'm just grateful that day we shot nothing. Uh, I, I really am grateful because of uh, you'll see what happened with the story. <laughs> and um, so we said to my mother-in-law, all right, Mozambique is a big uh, – up that area of the coast, and big tidal variation. It's literally four meters oh, you know, wow. between high and low tide, mm-hmm. or it's huge. So yeah. you often have this steep incline on the beach, you know, and then the four by four. If you're at high tide, you're driving through very loose sand, sand dunes, and obviously low tide. It's a lovely hard surface to drive on. So we we head out at the the low tide, get there no problem, and there's a little bit of confusion still to this day um, about who got the time wrong with the whole thing, the agreement. But Russell and I said, we'll be two hours, just wait for us, and then we'll drive back together. So off we go into the water and we take, we were probably swimming out maybe about, it wasn't quite a mile, but it was a, it was a fair swim. And uh, we found a little bit of a reef, so we start diving there and things were great. There was kingfish around and that, but we didn't shoot any for some odd reason. I, I don't think we got a good shot in, if I remember correctly. And eventually okay. we come back to the beach. We thought we were two hours, uh, but maybe we were three or four. I can't remember. <laughs> the tide had come in. <laughs> no vehicle on the beach whatsoever. <laughs> I just saw a twin set of tracks. <laughs> and I said to Russell, I said, Russell, your mother-in-law has dropped us. And he says, no, she'd never do that. She's my mother. She wouldn't do that. I said, I'm telling you, there's two sets of tracks on the beach. She's dropped us. we got a, a nine-mile run back to where our car is. Um, and he wouldn't believe it. I said, well, let's strip off, bury our, our gear in the sand dunes here. We'll come out another day and go and fetch it, if you're going to remember which sand dune we, we buried it under, and we'll run back. So we did this. We buried all our stuff, and we just start this jog. And as we're starting to jog back, you hear this. And I said, Russell, hear that sound? That is a chopper, and I bet you it's coming to rescue us. He says, no, 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 no. I said, I'll put money on it. Next thing, this chopper comes over the horizon and does a kind of circle around us. And the door flies open at the, the back of the chopper. And it had all this, um, like, rescue, you know, stuff on the side and <laughs> 911 or whatever it was. I can't remember. Yeah. And this thing lands, you see, and the sand's kicking up everywhere. And the flight engineer runs out to us. 
And he says, hey, are you the two divers lost at sea? And I look at him and said, no, we're the two divers walking nine miles back to, <laughs> to, to where we left. He says, well, good enough. Get in. <laughs> so, so we get in this chopper and I said, look, um, listen, before we go, we left our, our dive gear uh, buried in the sand a few dunes back. Can we run and fetch it? And he said, yeah, make it quick. So we run off and go get our dive gear and our guns were so long. There were 1.3 guns and, you know, so they couldn't close the doors in the back of the chopper. <laughs> um, so we load it all in. And that's why I said, thank goodness we had no fish. Otherwise, we'd have some smelly fish flapping around the back of this chopper as well. And we take off, you see. But I couldn't relax. You know, I must just describe this area. It is like National Geographic, pristine. You look to the left, you've got Marine Park, whale sharks, you name it, dolphins wow, wow. waving at you as you fly by. You look to the right, you've got hippos and crocs and wetlands and oh, bird wow. life. I mean, it's just National Geographic stuff, you know. So this should have been the flip of a lifetime, you know. <laughs> and I couldn't relax. So I tapped the, the flight engineer on his shoulder and I said, listen, I have to ask you, um, how much is this costing us? Because if it's going to be an arm and a leg, I'd rather take the nine-mile run back. <laughs> and he says, well, normally, a heck of a lot. So I said, what do you mean normally? Are you like running a two-for-one special on rescues today? And, and he says, uh, no, no, no. Fortunately, we need the hours for training for rescue scenarios. And you guys, supposedly being lost at sea, have presented the perfect rescue situation for us. So just sit back and enjoy the trip, you know. And, yeah, it's just right, wonderful. We fly back. And as we're coming down to land near the kind of car park area, the crowd had gathered. There was probably about 60 to 80 people <laughs> gathered, you know, because this is a big thing going down. And have they found the two divers lost at sea? And uh, so we land and uh, me and Russell climb out with our kit. And, and there's my poor mother-in-law. She's like in a heap, all red, puffy eyes from crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I don't think she's ever forgiven us for that one. <laughs> So what were you, were there any practical takeaways from that? What do you do differently now? Uh, don't <laughs> let your mother-in-law drive you to the dark spot. <laughs> we, we, have, we have certain fish species here in Australia that you actually deliberately give to your mother-in-law. <laughs> uh, you, oh, a little bit of cigaretera infused or what? <laughs> we even call them mother-in-law fish. Uh, oh, are you kidding? Nah, it's good. Yeah. It's good. Feel the love. So, yeah, I've got another tough situation I can tell you. I've just recently returned from a trip to Ascension Island, and oh, wow. uh, it was such a privilege to dive with. We saw the Aussie guys there, Rob Torelli, I think it was, wow. and Adrino, as it, Tim, Tim, long, yeah, Tim. and uh, it, it was lovely just seeing the, the Aussies there. And there was a Kiwi couple as well, um, big names. There was a, a girl who kind of got the ladies' record for tuna. So, so we're at Ascension Island, and, and I was sponsored for this trip by a good friend called Chris Dillon. And um, it's quite a tough situation happened on my turn because, you know, with those big tuna you hunt, you're only allowed one that's over 100 kilograms just for, you know, conservation sake, which is a good thing. Okay. And I, it was kind of day six or something into our nine-day stay there. And uh, I was the last guy, you know, to get my tuna because I just said, no, you guys uh, get yours first. And um, 
the moment we jumped into the water that day, and it's kind of about 100 meters deep, I think it was, you could see the Galapagos sharks were there, and they were frisky. We hadn't even started chumming yet, and a shark had arrived. Oh, wow. And I still said to the guys, let's be careful. These sharks are frisky. We could be in for some trouble. And, um, you know, it, the Galapagos sharks, I don't think they can, they're really a threat. But they're kind of, it's learned behavior. They're learning that sparrows are getting in the water. They're chumming, you know. So I think in future, the guys have to watch them a little bit. They can, they're starting to get very close. And you just kind of prod them away or, or gently nudge them away with the back of your gun. Um, but so anyway, we're in the water and we're working well as a team. And I think that's the secret to getting a good tuna is, is you know, with your team, one guy chums. And he's watching the sharks. And um, we have one guy, Chris was on shark duty that day, and he'd watch the sharks. You know, and if there's three guys in the water, you've got three sets of eyes, and you can handle three sharks. Yeah. But when six sharks arrive, you know, that, that's actually getting silly. Yeah. And um, anyway, this, this big tuna comes in, and, and we could see it was a big boy because its sickles came right the way back to its back fin, tail fin, you know, wow. nearly touching, touching the fin. So you, you know you're talking 120, 130 kilos. And um, just to put something straight, I'm not in a glory club. For me, uh, you know, to shoot these tuna, I'll be honest, it's quite easy. It takes a lot of money in terms of buying lots of chum. Uh, <laughs> it takes a lot of <laughs> a lot of patience yeah. because of the weight, you know. And uh, Chris and I chatted about this, and he says, "You must tell the, the noob guys about what it's like." And it, I could only describe it: the weight and the patience <laughs> is like the scene from Braveheart in the movie <laughs> when Mel Gibson. Was saying uh, to the, he was saying, hold, hold, <laughs> oh, yeah, hold, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, you yeah, get to, yeah. you know, and then you get to whack the English. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good That's, visual there. Such a good yeah, visual. Yep. It's yeah. just like that. You just uh, wait until that big fish comes right up. You pull your flasher right up, and you know you don't want to wound one, and you don't want a spear to pull out. You know, yeah. I, I, that was my thing. I don't want to hurt a fish. I'm just <laughs> land it, and that's it. Done, done deal. Yeah. So anyway, um, I got I got my tuna and um, a good shot, and this thing just takes off. It just sounds, you know, like they do, and it goes down. It goes down to probably 100 meters or so, and all the floats are whipping by and everything wow. else. And we could, we could just see that uh, the sharks were arriving quite soon. So I was trying to pull this big fish up as, as, as fast as I could, but without pulling the spear out. Yep. But as it got to within vis range of about 50 meters, we saw there were sharks down there. And suddenly it started to feel lighter on, on my line. And... Uh, Chris said to me, okay, now he's on shark duty. He'll go down and, and let's just get your fish in. And my biggest concern is safety. You know, we're, we're all fathers. We have children. Mm. And that's, that's a big picture. You know, it's not about getting a big fish. You've got to think of what can happen. You know, yeah, you don't yeah. want to get nipped by a shark out there or bump. Anyway, this, my, my line was getting very, very light. So I said to Chris, either I've lost my whole fish completely or the, fish, or the sharks are underneath it and actually biting it pushing it upwards to the surface, but yeah. I just wound it straight up. And Chris dived down to 30 meters. He was able to nudge them away, and it gave me that gap. And suddenly I could feel the weight again, and I got this, this um, fish to the surface. Oh, wow. And our boat skipper was brilliant. He was sharp. I had already told him, listen, there's big sharks around. Stay right close to us. Yeah. And I, f I felt the biggest danger in doing that was not Chris going down and nudging the sharks away. The biggest danger would be when you're next to the boat and there's lines around yeah. and spears and floats and 
propellers and mm. goodness knows what else. And there's also hungry sharks. And if, if they come up to you and try and they still want a piece of their fish, that's when the confusion could have mm. happened. But fortunately, we were such a good team. We, yeah. we, the guys got up quickly. We were watching each other's backs. We got our fish up. And back to the shore we went, and I got a lovely picture. I'll send it to you guys. It, it weighed 98 kilos. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, big, big bites out of the side of it. It just looks incredible. Oh, and, uh, nice story to tell. And a good thing happened. There was an, uh, a student there, and she was doing fist research. And I, I was chatting to her a fair bit, and I got her to cut it open and just try and do some measurements and look for the little bones inside it yeah. um, to, to see how big it was. And she said, yeah, it's between 120, 130 kilos. So, oh, yeah, wow. tough situation to be in and, you know, a little bit scary, but you've got to keep your cool and, yeah. and a calm head, you know. But it could have gone horribly wrong. And I think just, you know, to encourage any of the guys out there who are doing tuna fishing, just work as a team. You know, constantly watch each other if you've got a wrap around your leg with one of your floats. Because while we were there, there was a young American guy and, and he picked up a, a, a loop around his leg and he got dragged down by a tuna and he – Fortunately, had the savvy to pull out his knife quick enough and, and cut it loose. But wow. uh, you know, you don't want to take that risk. Mm. Wow! I really liked your visual, the, the William Wallace. Yeah. Hold, hold! That was awesome. I was, I was right there with you. Yeah. I think next time I'm out with Turbo, I'll be yelling out, "Turbo, the English are coming!" Very good and uh, a really interesting insight and pretty, uh, pretty neat. Cool. Hey guys, today's Veterans Vault is brought to you by our ebook, 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. It's actionable information from more than 40 interviews with spearfishing experts from around the world. Turbo, what do you like about the book, buddy? Mate, I love it that it's called 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing, but there's well over 99 tips in there. Some estimated at around 1,000 or 1,500 tips. <laughs> I love your estimation. I like the fact that it's just actionable information to, to improve your spearfishing out of sight on the next dive. Yep, absolutely. It's the best value for money spearfishing book on the market. So get on Amazon.com and pick yourself up a copy. 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. Thanks, guys. Next part yeah. of the show is veteran, Veterans Fault. I'm lost. We're up to the Veterans Fault. So this Veterans Fault is proudly brought to you in partnership with Cue the ads. <laughs> <laughs> nice, smooth, smooth. That was professional. Oh, it was so good. Um, so, look, this is the part of the show where we, we ask our special guests to sort of take us deep into an area of their expertise. And we did chat briefly before the show about maybe doing a bit of a deep dive into the white muscle cracker, which is a really iconic South African species. And um, we've already talked a little bit about it. But mm. um, how do you – do you ever sort of target them, Niall? And what does that sort of process look planning look like um yeah look when i started off diving um i targeted anything that moved and looked at me funny if a fish <laughs> ran my way i'd take it out <laughs> <laughs> and like i said earlier now i've got a conscience and i, I do it by the book and um, but i tell guys um you know if don't get in trophy mode because so many guys get on the boat and they're waiting for these trophies and big fish just jump in a water and if a fish is legal and you're getting a good shot, you know, take it, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we would definitely go to certain areas where we know the muscle cracker are 
on our planned day with waypoints, you know, because I, I, when I fire up my fish finder and my chart plotter, there's just millions of places to go to and nice pinnacles. Oh, nice. But I always think, okay, if we go there, there's a good chance of muscle cracker. But, you know, at the end of the day, if a fish swims past in its size, it's legal and it's in season, I, I take it. Because we're allowed 10 fish in your mixed bag of fish and you've got to work out what species and how many and all of So I want to go home with fish, you know. You've got a family to provide for. So... Um, but what I do do, funny enough, when you when you say targeting fish, if I, let's say, do get a muscle cracker, I'll be prepared for it. And what I mean by that is um, if I see the conditions are going to be good today, I can get into the white water, there's a good chance I'm going to get one. I already have my curry slurry at home waiting for me in the fridge. And a muscle cracker, the, the meat is, is very coarse and thick, and it makes them the best curried fish you've ever had in your life. And I found there's a little tip to the guy off the, the ocean and you're tired, you've been rocking and rolling in a boat all day, you've been diving long and diving deep. The last thing you want to do is even fillet fish. <laughs> um, but what I do is I go, I have my curry mix with my um, onions in it and sultanas and uh, I Ooh. love cooking fish, you know, by the way. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's all ready. So when I come home, I can quickly just fillet the fish and cook it. Uh, I use a deep fry. I put a batter in that, and then and it goes into this curry. And then a day or two later, there there's my prize, you know. Oh. So I kind of anticipate and look look ahead, you know. Okay, you're going to have to send us in some fish fish recipes, I think, for the Noob Sparrow website. Oh, I love a good uh, a good fish curry. Oh right, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll give you a recipe or two. I've got a nice batter recipe. It's so yeah. easy. Uh, oh, tell you what, even. And I love getting people to do uh, to eat fish when they don't normally eat fish at all. And this oh. batter recipe is an absolute winner. So I'll send it to you guys. Cool, cool. Um, okay, so just back to white muscle cracker a little bit. And uh, even though possibly not from a trophy hunting perspective, when you are targeting them, uh, what's some what's some general advice you'd give to people? Do, do you get guys that say, <laughs> "Look, we're coming out with you. We really want a white muscle cracker." How, how, how would you approach that? You know, there's different. Schools of thought in them. There's a lot of spearers out there and tell you, okay, you only get one shot. When you go down and you see these fish come in, that's it. You take your shot because you won't see them again. Um, you know, I've seen fish in stupid moods that literally swim in front of your spear and say, shoot me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and literally, you do. Yeah, you love those. <laughs> Sometimes. And, and here, here's a weird thing you shoot one of those, and then it's all his buddies sit and watch. They don't even clear off. You, know, you go up and land it, and then you go down, and the buddies are still waiting, and they want to be shot as well. I mean, I've <laughs> literally seen that. It's the best. Um, but it doesn't happen much at all. Um, but sometimes the fish are easily spooked. And I think if you can get really quiet, I think the secret is just getting quiet, relaxing on the water. You know, having a dive watch is brilliant, you know, especially I think one of the guys on the show was saying at least three minutes on the surface. I'm, I'm doing that all the time now, at least oh, wow. three minutes. Um, on the surface and uh, a good 20 seconds on the bottom like turbo no I'm just kidding (laughs) 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 that was good I loved it good good humility so bottom time and uh, don't be in too much of a hurry to get one you know if you see a nice one take it sure but if you spook it you know even letting your spear gun touch the reef and it just makes that little click noise or something or you're a bit noisy they can spook so easily and you actually hear them you hear their tails stumping it's like boom 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 underwater oh, then you yeah. know all right there's cracker around they're big 
and that's the tails and they're swimming away from you. But if you choose not to shoot anything for the next 10, 20 minutes and you keep on diving, most of the time they will come back in because fish, I find, are quite inquisitive. Um, although I'll say one thing. When you've got four spearos on a boat, they all jump in and they're relatively good spearos. Not, they generate so much noise, even if they're good spearos. Yeah. We've noticed fish just leave. Yeah. Um, and, and I always make a joke when you're on the boat. You know, I actually – you know, I'll be on the helm. I've got my weight belt on already. I've got everything on already. When I kill those engines, I've nominated someone as an anchor guy. So I'll say, just slide the anchor over, don't chuck it over. Yeah. It'll all be ready and tied to the right depth. I try and be first in the water. But yeah. I thought, nah, it's a bit selfish. You've got to look after other guys. So I'll say, guys, first in the water gets the best fish. And that has proved itself time and time again to be true. The guy that gets in first goes mm. down. He'll get himself a nice fish, you know. No, what sort of um, what sort of depth are we talking about for the mussel cracker? A couple of meters, ten meters. Well, here's a funny story. There's a rocky area down the road from us because there's a lot of um, it's called Cannon Rocks for a reason because there's cannons at the end of the road from shipwrecks, but there's rocks wow. all over the place here. And um, I've seen fishermen from the side throw a line, go out to the furthest rock they can jump onto, and cast as far as they can out to sea. And I've gone out there with my spear gun in hand and wetsuit to dive in one of the gullies where they're trying to fish. And as I'm jumping over rocks with little gullies uh, of a meter deep, maybe two meters deep, I've seen big, big mussel cracker in a meter of water. Right. And you gotta, yeah, you got to actually think from the mind of a fish. If you are a mussel cracker, where's your food source? Mm. It's called a mussel cracker because they eat mussels. Mm-hmm. They are found in shallow, shallow water. They eat abalone as well which you obviously find in very shallow water. Um, so your best bet is in the shallows. And a lot of guys, you know, we don't like the shallows. It's white water. It reminds you of your past you know, <laughs> diving days when you started out. But, yeah. you know, that's often where you find them, right in the shallows. But you can get them in the deep as well. Uh, yeah. There's guys, there's a place called Rye Banks off Port Elizabeth. It goes from about 11 meters right down to 50 meters. There's four pinnacles there of 11 meters. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in the early days of scuba divers going out there and seeing mussel crackers on that reef, which, wow. you know, from 11 down to 50, seeing them, you know, 15, 18 kilograms. So they can be anywhere. Wow. Okay, what do they taste like? Uh, they, I think they taste fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I do curry them. But I'll, I'll eat any fish anyway. Uh, it's funny you ask like that. I love cooking fish different ways. And mm. I actually wrote down a, about six different ways we, we cook fish here. Because wow. it's a coarse flesh. I and mean, then you get a big fish. It's often coarser. It's nice and chunky. I uh, cut it into nuggets. I make a good fish curry with that. I love to smoke fish. A lot of fish we shoot here, um, and there's 27 species as well. I, I actually counted the other day, 27 species of fish you can shoot in this area. Oh, I like wow. to smoke it if it's a fine flesh and use kind of an oak oak smoke. Um, I love ceviche, and yep. we, uh, we often take it out in the boat with me. I put a big ice brick in, in my, my little thing with ceviche with the chilies and have crackers on board. And for lunch, we'll, we'll eat ceviche right there and then. I'll fillet the fish and leave it in for an hour or two. And do that. Um, I love grilling fish with cheese on top. We love doing it on a fire. Um, <laughs> oh, just man, an open fire. Shrek's sweating getting... this. I'm sweating. I'm sweating here. <laughs> just like, just uh, frothing. Uh, I'm, I'm getting quite hungry myself just talking about it. Um, love to deep fry, make nuggets and deep fry them. You know, people can't eat enough of that. And 
The lastly, the, the other way I like to cook fish is we have a thing called a poiki kos, uh, Afrikaans, uh, which means yeah. poiki kos. That kos is food. It's a traditional African pot, and I'm sure in Australia you, you have this kind of thing that's cast iron. It's black. Yeah. You should technically never wash it. You, mm-hmm. When you're finished eating, you kind of wipe it out and leave like a little oil residue in it, and yeah. you shouldn't use soap in it and anything like that. But just to make a lovely um, – you put it on the fire and you cook your, your fish in there. You make like a chowder and put your rice on top. That's a Ooh. lovely way to do fish as well. Ooh. So, yeah, good talking about Shit. food. We haven't had eaten since what? Seven? Yeah. We'll wrap up the veterans fault. Any other parting sort of tips for, for white muscle cracker? You, you, you sort of identified oh. earlier, like oh. shooting them in the head. Yeah. I was going to say shot placement, shot placement. Where do we go? Ah, just behind the head, you know, mm-hmm. um, just, uh, that's a good place to get them. Obviously a spine if you can, but, uh, yeah, the flesh is so thick. You know, I've seldom lost lost one. Okay. So, uh, yeah, a well placed shot. Um, and also, a few tips I'll give you guys. Uh, I think my my skills are. I'm not the world's greatest spearer. Yeah. Um, but I've picked up a, a lot of um, experience just with boats and and taking people out and facilitating a good time for them and finding the fish. So, uh, as far as far as you know, tips with boating are concerned. Let's say there's four Spiros go out in a boat, we're all together, and I'm going to dive. I'm a skipper as well. Always make a point of telling everyone, listen, what if something happens to me, the skipper? You can't presume everyone else on a boat knows how to drive the thing. Ah, nice. So I show the guys, all right, there's the kill switches. If you have to get me back to shore because I've been eaten, half eaten, mm-hmm. that's how you start the engines. Um, the, mo- the boat's totally manual. There's no trim and tilt at all for the motors. I just get the fat guys to move further back and there's my trim and tilt. I can get the bow nicely up. <laughs> um, you know, if you, if you hit the beach at speed, you know, the motors, there's the clips. You must have these clips done. The motors will release. Otherwise, they'll rip your transom off. I'll do that. I, um, I tell the guys, listen, where I stash my car keys, you know, I, I, with my Land Rover, I, I hide them up in the Land Rover, so if for some reason you have to drive me somewhere, that's where the car keys will be. Yeah. Um, also keep, for the sake of a lost diver, um, or even lost equipment, you know, we had a guy lose a spear gun the other day, and we found it. I keep a drop buoy on the boat with a nice weight. Okay. Um, and the moment something happens, I've never lost a diver at sea, but I'm prepared, you know, you never know. I'm able to drop a, uh, drop a weight uh, and a buoy and mark the spot, yeah, right. um, I also, with with GPSs, a lot of guys don't take the time to read the book fully in the instructional manual. Yeah. And today's GPSs are fantastic. And mm. I encourage them, keep a track on and um, a GPS track. You, like if you're using a Lawrence, you have to say track, new file, uh, make it whatever color you want. And it keeps record of where you are. And because in the event of you losing a diver, you've always got your GPS and you can see exactly Within a couple of meters, this is the spot where we where we lost this guy. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so yeah, just for, for safety, you, you have to be aware. You have to look out for the other guys. And I've also learned over the years, um, you know, don't take people's word for it. People will look you in the in the eye and tell you one thing about the experience, and and be something else completely. So yeah. I've learned not to take people for their word and just kind of read people on the boat. You can get people who step on the boat, and the moment they step on your boat, they're at ease, and you can see, all right, this guy is at home. He's going to be 
fine on the water today. Yeah. Other guys, you can see, uh, you know, it's it's too much fear mixed with adrenaline, and and uh, yeah. you've got to watch those guys. Yeah. Wow, that's, that was really really good. There was yeah. heaps of good practical stuff in there. Oh wow, well, good stuff. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's change pace again. Yeah, we've changed pace like five times. Where are we at? Okay, so all I do is sit here listening like and I haven't even read what we were up to. Where are we up to? This is normal turbo stuff, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, I saw something, the something shiny went past the window, mate. I got distracted. <laughs> Hang on. It's one of, his, <laughs> one of his girlfriends texting him. Oh, get out of it. Just reading fan mail oh, yeah. flat out. That's what I was doing. Next part is the show is the funniest thing. What's one of the funniest experiences oh, you've had out on the water Nile and... Um, Tell us about that. Um, well, I love to have good fun out of the, on the water and crack some jokes, you know, and I love a good story. And yeah. I often get told or rebuked by some close friends, now stop clowning around and let's focus on the fish. <laughs> but uh, I think I had a good friend when I worked at the university for, for a few years, and he was a Spiro, um, John Elliott, and he hand-built a boat, typical Spiro's boat, uh, wet deck, very low gunnels, 16-foot long, hand built you know yeah. and uh we'd often after work go out and and to port elizabeth area and go hunt yellowtail in the white water there or muscle cracker yeah and you know you obviously like you said earlier have some friends hanging around you and want to kind of join you <laughs> and i said look I've, I've got this friend his name's peter he's uh he's so gullible john um he wants to come diving with us. He's dead keen. He's got his kit but let's just set him up because we'll have some fun with him today <laughs> and he says all right so uh, now, before we go diving, we we'll, we'll always pop our diving drugs. Now, diving drugs are Sudafeds or Zyrtec or any nasal decongestion stuff, and you pump yourself full of these things, and, and you're good to go, you see. In fact, I pop, start popping these things the night before just so I make sure I've got no, no nasal problems equalizing. Yeah. So I said, let's pop our tablets in front of Peter when he arrives in the car park, you know, and he is going to ask us, make sure he sees us. He is going to ask us, what are you guys taking? And I said, don't worry about it. I'm just going to take it from there. And I said, and John, when we get out to Thunderbolt Reef, the whole trip there, it's three, three miles or whatever, just be breathing up the whole time. So, you know, <laughs> when you arrive and throw the pick, you are so breathed up and ready to dive down. Your first dive is going to be a long, long dive. You know, yeah. That's very important. Yeah. And he also uh, – so, so, so – uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so Peter arrives, and we're on the beach, and we're kitting up and loading up the boat and this and that, and I pass the, 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 the tablets to John. I said, John, do you want some? He says, yeah, please, at least two, eh? So I said, okay. So I said, all right, I'll take two as well. And I still said to John, when we take these tablets, act like, you know, drink them without water, but like you really get a hit, you know, when you're taking these things. So we did. We threw our, threw our head back and popped them, and Peter's eyes are getting big, and he's watching us. And... Uh, he says, what are you guys taking? Yeah. So I said, well, these are, these are diving drugs, Peter. Uh, I don't know if I should have told you this. He says, what do they do? <laughs> so I said, well, we call them BTPs, um, and they actually release oxygen into your blood. So when you go down, you're just like a machine. It's absolutely incredible. <laughs> so, so I said, do you want some? So he goes, no, 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 eh? don't do drugs. Sorry, no, don't do drugs. I'm sorry, I draw the line there. I said, okay, you know. Each to their own, Peter. That's fine. So uh, we go, you see, out to sea. And uh, we throw the pickers plan. It was about 14 meters. And, and we'd, John and I had breathed up. Now Peter's watching us, you see, because yeah. he's, he's obviously very inquisitive. Yeah. And I still said to John, when you go down, make sure 
that um, we stayed on as long as humanly possible <laughs> and shoot a fish. And when you come up, don't sort of go <gasps> with your snorkel gasping for air. Just sort of go puff, you know, like a, you know, you're not desperate for air. Yeah. All right. So down we go and we do our dive and we come up a minute and a half later or whatever it was, minute, yeah. minute 40. Yeah. And we do this little puff on the surface. And Peter's like still sitting on the boat watching us. He's man. Those tablets really work. Did he want some after that or was he just thoroughly impressed and you kept away? Did you keep up the story? Uh, no, he didn't want any still. They didn't want to risk it. But uh, he, he had a good time diving. So uh, it all worked out well in the end. Uh, nice. So, yeah, it was one of the funniest things I've had out there. Uh, that's good. I'm gonna, I think I might use the BT piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must say another quick. Is there time for another quick yeah, story? Yeah, far away. Yeah, my brother-in-law and I. Um, I don't know if we, you know, talked about this or we actually did it. But we always said maintain there's three types of people in life. <laughs> there are those like ourselves that will never vomit because I know you guys like a good vomiting story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, never ever vomit. Uh, just got an iron stomach. No matter what the ocean throws at you, it won't happen. Yeah. There are those in life who are on the edge. Yeah. Um, and those kind of people. They're already, they've got to the beach and there's so much excitement built up on them. Before you're launching the boat, you just say, excuse me, please, can you wait? And they run off to the dunes and go and quickly vomit there and then. And they're vomiting <laughs> before they stepped on the boat. <laughs> and then those are really on the edge that when they get on the boat, it just takes something to nudge them a little bit to get them to vomit. So we used to carry um, a little can of diced and mixed vegetables, you know, with diced carrots and diced peas and, and diced corn in the cob and a little tin open, you see. Yeah. And we go out to sea with divers on board and, you know, there'll be a bit of a bump on the sea. And, and Russ would say to me, no, oh, it's a bit bumpy today out here. You know, you, you, you're not looking too well. Um, are you okay? So I'd say, and that, that would be my cue, you see. Yeah, throw so the can. I, I would go down behind the console and, and, and take a mouthful of this stuff. But before <laughs> I do, I'd say, Russ. Ah, I'm feeling a bit green, eh? This is awful sea, you know. And then you look at the other divers and they're really feeling bad. And um, so, so I'd come up and then I'd, I'd, I'd act like I'm vomiting up this stuff into my hand, yeah. you know, on the boat. And sometimes that's enough. When the divers see that and, and see Sensible. what's in your hand, it's enough to put them over the edge. They, they'll start yeah. vomiting straight away. Oh, yeah. But even if it still is, no one's vomited after doing that, what Russ used to do, He'd come over and look in my hand and he'd pick a pee out and he'd pop it in his mouth and shoot it. That's not bad at all, no. Oh, that is gold. That is gold. Yeah, Next that's stop. a bad one. You've given us two stories that I want to try now. It's enough. <laughs> Today's Noob Spirit podcast is also proudly brought to you in partnership with penetratorfins.com. Get on there, guys. Have a look at some of the designs I've got. They've got clears. The blacks are beautiful. Check out the Noob Spirit custom Oki print. It's mad as well. Larry's got a full range of wicker designs, and he's got beautiful finish on his fins. He's uh, recently updated his manufacturing process. It's even better than it was before. He makes some of the best fins in the world. Uh, he offers a full international warranty along with $25 flat rate shipping worldwide. And uh, to, to make that offer even sweeter, pump in the code Noob Spiro at checkout and save another 20 bucks. Penetratorfins.com. Support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with our sponsor. All right, what's in your dive bag? 
head to toe, what do you? What's your what's your equipment look like? What what gun are you using? Uh, I carry three guns when the water's clean enough, uh, which kind of never happens. That's a mm-hmm. 1.3 meter Rob Allen rail gun, and then I got a 1.2 aluminium rail gun, um, and just you know not roller heads or anything like that, just standard rubbers. And then my good friend Chris sponsored me a, a 1.1 carbon reel gun, and that that's kind oh, of wow. my favourite. The 1.1. Is, is my favorite for it's light you can maneuver it around especially when you're hunting muscle cracker yeah. so that's what i use for a gun uh dive bag always keep a drop boy with me uh, a cressy low volume mask i've moved on from the high volume nemrod mask and now yeah. i have a, i think a carbon fins um yeah what else have i got oh, i've got a good knife uh nice and sharp i always you know I think a knife is so important. I've just learned from hearing so many guys get in a bit of trouble. Uh, have a good knife on you, really, really sharp. Mm. So this is a very, very sharp, thin blade. Okay. And uh, Spora Sub Watch, you know, that watch has transformed my diving just in okay. terms of sit time on the surface and What's, works well. What sort of watch is it? Is it Spora Sub? Do you know the Spora model? Spora Sub, I think it's, uh, it's, the same, it's SP2. It's the same as the Omar one, I think. It's a take on that. All right. Yeah. Um, very, very simple, but it's just brilliant and uh rob allen rubber weight belt with a with a reel and that's about it okay pretty cool. good pretty basic but pretty effective by the sounds of it yeah yeah but you know it's uh you know it, it often see when you get the young guys on the boat they um they out shoot you very quickly you know yeah, but yeah. uh doesn't worry me you know I, I think it's important to have good kit if i could give anyone any advice it's like don't fiddle around and Rather wait till you've got the money and buy yourself good stuff right from the beginning. Yeah. Do the research. You know, I, I, I literally, I was ignorant. I didn't know any better. And uh, some guys on the show have said this before. They just, you know, it's really out of ignorance. So mm-hmm. you're just wasting your money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good. Cool. All right. Oh, sorry. Quick, just quickly. Yeah. What, what wetsuit are you wearing? What thickness? Oh, I forgot. Yeah. I use an open cell and um, that. I don't know if you're familiar with those. I guess yep. you are. The ones you put a bit of soap in to get into. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it's a five mil uh, Farmer John okay. and five mm-hmm. mil jacket on the top. Oh, so yeah. you've got 10 mils on the top with a built-in hood. Yeah, um, nice. they, they work great. I had a bad accident once uh, before I got my built-in hood. I used to wear a, a separate hood. And one day I was diving in the shallows and I swam into about four, um, three or four, stingers um blue bottles yep. you know but they were really big and they wrapped around my neck oh, um wow. awful awful experience i <laughs> i didn't know that the poison in those things attacks um, muscles around your lungs and I, I really really struggled to breathe oh wow um so i was on the on the rocks for about an hour trying to recover from that so i recommend use a use a built-in hood don't go for these hoods with it good sales yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could not all right Niall. uh we've got a new section it's uh, it's actually new to me today as well actually so it's called uh spiro q and a it was i think it replaces the fast five facts for noobs unfortunately it uh it's gone the way of the dodo the fast five facts for noobs so uh, it's the seven questions. Is this what we're doing here? Yeah. All right. So yeah. maybe who, who's who's been the most influential person in your spearfishing and why? I, um, I really don't think anyone because, like I said earlier, I kind of started out on my own. Um, I think what 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 influenced me the most is seeing what not to do. You know, for example, when we started diving, I started to try and get some guys together. 
and to go diving with me. And, and um, they, would, they would hang on my, my crayfishing tube and net, and the water mm. was so cold, they'd bring Old Barn sherry with them or some type of sherry, and they'd be sitting in the water <laughs> drinking sherry to keep warm. Um, you know? So I learned from those guys, if you want to improve, don't hang out with guys like that. You'll go nowhere. So the most influential people in my life are the guys don't go and do stupid things like that. Okay. Um, if you had to start all over again, what would you do differently? I wouldn't steal from my mother. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah no, and like I said, I'd buy decent equipment right from the beginning. Uh, okay. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't use a motorbike with a seven-kilogram weight belt around my weight <laughs> driving to the, to the dive sites, yeah? Okay. During all of your years spearfishing, what is the biggest lesson you've learned? I think to relax and to be quiet underwater. Um, you know, underwater, it's a place of real peace and solitude, um, despite all the adrenaline flowing through your body, you've you, you got to kind of keep the adrenaline down. So, so just get quiet. I think the quieter you are in the water, the better chance you have of, of seeing and finding fish. Mm. Okay. What's, what is the single best piece of advice you have ever been given for spearfishing? This, this, All right. It could have um, been something you heard on the Noob Spirit podcast. So probably. There's a squad guy on there, Shrek. He just busts out gems all the time. Oh, mm. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> He's so uh, The best advice I've been given <laughs> was uh, definitely stop fiddling around in white water, shore diving, and go buy yourself a boat. So uh, I'd encourage anyone out there. I mean, I know some people live in land and that, and buying a boat isn't always worth your while. But if you can, uh, do what you, we do whatever it takes, and, and there's nothing better than being a skipper on your own boat and at the helm. Mm. It just opens up a whole new world to you. I find personally shore diving dangerous. Obviously, you guys are familiar with, um, you know, sharks and whites over there in that country. Mm. But you know, I've heard of stories of guys being out in kayaks, even fishing, and have a massive five-meter white swim past them. I've had five-meter whites next to my boat for 20 minutes swimming mm. around my boat. Um, just looking at me, I've swam into whites a few times. My wife and I scuba diving. We could have reached out and touched a five-meter white. Wow. Um, you know, I always think, you know, if you're shore diving and you know they can come through that area, um, yeah, you've got a long way back to the shore. Whereas on a boat, it's just jump on the boat and that's it. You, you, you're pretty safe up there. So yeah. buy a boat, you know. If you're <laughs> thinking of getting a boat, you don't always need lots of money either. Just um, – you know, make friends with guys at boat yards and try and bum what you can. And, and most yeah. mariners are only too willing to help you to, to put something together for you to get you out floating on the ocean, you know. Cool. We're gonna, we're just, I just realized we're going to have to get a boat sponsor for this episode. Thanks mm. for that, Noel. Shrek's <laughs> right. um, yeah. never owned a boat, Noel, but he does have a book in his toilet that he bought from a second-hand shop. It was called Best Boating Practices. And that's why he's got so much good advice when we go spearfishing. And I didn't realise where he was getting all these nautical terms from, but it was from this book. So he's very insightful. Um, all I know is Turbo spends a lot of time in the head. What? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so it's a nautical term I don't understand. All right, so anyway, um, this is a chance for you to uh, give a shout-out to one of your mates. But uh, who is the best person to go spearfishing with and why? 
John. You know, it's John. I, I don't want to cause any offence to so many friends out there that I take. You know, to be honest, okay. um, you can tell I'm a real sensitive guy, can't you? Um, <laughs> but I was thinking, <laughs> it'll, it'll be my son. Uh, his oh, name's well. Jesse. He, he's uh, he's seven now, and he's fish obsessed already. Okay. Uh, he, he, not just with his fish tank. In fact. At the moment, he, he's growing a yellow belly rock cod in his fish tank, and in a few years, it's going to be of shootable size. We'll get him on the podcast. We'll be like, what's your most memorable fish? And it, this, this, is, this is real similar to that uh, story about my sister got a lamb once when we were younger called <laughs> Beatty Bo, and uh, <laughs> it ended up going in the freezer. It was a very distressing day for her. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right, Noel, so people yeah. can um, check out Big Blue Charters. You're, you're online, aren't you? Are you online? you got a website? Yeah, it's all over it. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> just, just get to Cannon Rocks and, and kind of ask a few locals uh, and they'll point you my way, I think. That's about it. Eh? Wow. Um, but, yeah, um, Big Blue Charters, you know, I can't really have a website. Being a, a one-man show, pushing a, a boat out in the surf, taking people on, you can only do so much one day. And a website will just bring in more businesses, kind of what, what I don't need with that, you know. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> so, okay, guys, so don't check out Nile Cameron online. Yeah. Uh, Business tips yeah. of Nile. But, <laughs> but maybe you've got another call to action, Nile, or, or something you want our audience to go and check out or think about maybe, parting piece of advice, whatever you like, buddy. All right, I, I think I'll put some nice recipes on uh, on on the website for you guys. Ah, you're a legend. Uh, because it's all about you know, it's not just about the hunt and and the equipment and and getting a fish and coming home. It's about providing for your family, and I love to just share fish with people and invite them around for a fish barbie um, or, or just treat treat locals because so many people, you know, they even can't even find fresh fish in the fish shop sometimes. And if mm, they do, right. it's the same old kind of fish, you know, mm. because there's so many laws now that you're allowed to sell, you know, this kind of fish in the fish shops, hake, for example. Mm. And, you know, eating fish that are only available by spear or rod and line is a real treat. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and enjoy, enjoy the fish, I think that's – because that's the prize at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Wicked. All right, Noel. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure to chat yep, with you. You're, real, you're been a real uh, character. We had some good fun with you today. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, love your show and uh, keep up the good work, guys. And uh, I just value the, the knowledge that you um, put across in the show and the type of people you get on. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's so good. You, you're not just focusing on Australia. You're kind of going all over the world. And uh, I think that just makes the show really special. Yeah. Ah, cheers. Yeah, thanks, Noel. Go. All right, buddy. Thanks awesome. for coming on, mate. Don't work too hard. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers, hey, guys. Thanks for listening to today's Noob Spiro podcast. Turbo, he didn't do a real good job, so but thanks for hanging in to the end. Look, next week's going to be much better. <laughs> We, we, we head back over to New Zealand to talk to one of my countrymen, Nat Davey. He's a bloody legend. She's got the world record yellowtail kingfish. We hear all about that story. Absolutely. Shrek's tail wags so hard in this episode, <laughs> you can hear it hitting the wall. Uh, he, no, it's a bloody oh, good interview. He's a, he's a super nice guy, very knowledgeable, and um, and he's got a lot of a lot of knowledge to share, and he, and he does so really freely in this, in this next yep, interview. So check it out. Leave us a review. Thanks, guys. 
Thanks for listening, guys. G'day, guys. Thanks for listening today and joining Turbo and I in the studio with another great guest. Now, today's show was proudly brought to you in partnership with spearfishing.com.au. Adreno have also put together a code for listeners of the Noob Sparrow podcast where they can save $20 on all purchases over $200. That's right, punch in the code Noob Sparrow when you buy your next spear gun or wetsuit at spearfishing.com.au and save yourself 20 bucks. It's a no-brainer. Shop with our sponsors Adreno at spearfishing.com.au and support the Noob Sparrow podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. It's been a cracker. We always love bringing these to you. But Shrek, you've got a couple of things on your mind. Shalom, Turbo. Yep, I would love it if people would head over to noobspiro.com and sign on to the floater, the floater email newsletter. It's our monthly release that gives you details. Oh, monthly release, the floater. <laughs> <laughs> it gives uh, a bit of a quick update on what's happening on the blog and are in Noob Sparrow's world. And you also get a couple of bonuses when you sign up. You get the dive day checklist and 10 tips to become a better Sparrow. you got to get that dive day checklist. It's got a photoshopped image of Shrek on it. We've, we've pulled in his guts a bit, made him, and he's put out his shoulders. But we actually paid for that. Mine's hanging over my bed head. I look at it every morning when I get up. You got to get yourself a copy of it. That's uh, the only way I start my day. Thanks for listening and putting up with us today, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you in another fortnight. See ya. See ya.